How's everybody doing tonight? Yeah, enjoying your, your uh, spring break, your staycation, it looks like. Yeah? How many of you guys have small children? Uh, not that many. I was about to do a prayer for all the parents with their children uh, staying home all week, having adjusted. I know for us, we have three small kids, and two of them are in school, so, you know, you, you get used to having them in school and kind of having a routine, and then that, that one week having them home, it's, it's exciting, let's just say that. It's, it's fun. It's interesting. Uh, well, if you don't know me, my name is Daniel. I get to uh, be a part of the pastoral team here, and uh, I get to speak, stay with you, here, uh, be here with you tonight and also next week. And what I'd like to do is do a two-part series with you, and uh, I'm entitling it Unsung Heroes. Uh, you know, a hero is someone who is admired or noted uh, for their courage, outstanding achievements, and or their noble abilities or qualities. And, and typically in a story, uh, the hero is the main person. He's the main person where the story evolves around him or, or her, uh, their lives and what they do. Um, you know, I think of, of growing up, I think of uh, when, I, when I used to really love, and I still, I still kind of do, the superheroes, right? It's, it's so interesting to me to, to you know, as, as kids, you, you learned about these comics and superheroes, and now, as an adult, you get to see it again in the theater and introduce your kids to that, right? Uh, when you think of, I think of Superman, I think of Wonder Woman, I think of Spider-Man, uh, I even think of the Ninja Turtles, which was my favorite as a kid, right? Come on. Some of you guys are like, they ain't even superheroes. But yes, they are. They're superheroes. Uh, these, are, these are teenage brothers that, that love pizza and kick butt. I mean, who doesn't like that, right? My man right there was with me. And, uh, you know, the, the, the stories of these superheroes, they, they're really about them, right? Their lives and what they do, what they like, what they don't like. And, and uh, how they save the world from evil. And they do this every day, by the way, right? Like yesterday they just did this amazing thing that if they did that in once in their lifetime, it would have been amazing. But they get to do this every day. And so uh, obviously we know these are, these are fictional characters. These are stories and they inspire and they're entertaining and they're fun. But the Bible talks about heroes as well. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, it is known as the, the faith chapter. And in the beginning it defines faith. It tells you what faith is. And within that context, it lists a lot of men and women uh, who are worthy to be noted in this, in this section. Uh, and it talks about Abraham. It talks about uh, Sarah. It talks about Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And not only does it mention their names, but it mentions uh, a few of the very important things that they did. And the Bible talks about how they did this by faith. And it continues and it says, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Samuel and the prophets. And he talks about how they established kingdoms and they were persecuted. Uh, some were, were sawn in half and all of these amazing things that we now look back and have shaped the course of history, has, has, has advanced the kingdom of God because of these great men and women by faith. And of course, uh, within what we just read and just heard, it alludes to the writer of Hebrews saying, of course this, is, this isn't a complete list of everybody. Of course this isn't a complete list of everything that was done. But here are some that are noteworthy. Here are some that are superheroes of the Bible. So an unsung hero is 
not necessarily the main person and the couple people that I want to share in these two weeks, their lives and what they did and the impact they had, you're not going to find them in this list. Uh, these are heroes that, that, you know, are not the main person of the story, the main subject even of the story. And, and they may not have been mentioned much and probably recognized not at all other than what is written about them in the portion of the Bible. And tonight, the first one, I want to talk to you about who I believe is the hero of the story of Job. And his name is Elihu. And when I say Elihu, a lot of us may not have ever heard of that name. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, depending on if you've studied it. But uh, I believe he is the unsung hero of, of the book of Job. Now, the book of Job, just to kind of get some context here, is, is believed to be the oldest book of the Bible. You know, I know that in our Bibles, Genesis is the first book, but Genesis means in the beginning, and that's why it is in the beginning. But if it was in chronological order, uh, it, is, it is believed by theologians, many theologians believe that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And the setting is, is believed to be sometime after Abraham, but before Moses. And, and, and you get that just because of some of the, the way things are written and said, uh, particularly the sacrifices that are done, the way that they're done. It's, it's, it's really, as you, as you study, it's said to, to be very familiar with this time and this setting. And that's a pretty big gap, but it kind of gives us an idea of when, of when Job was around and when this happened. So Job chapter 1, the Bible says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's a pretty amazing resume there. Uh, Job is upright. He fears God. Not only does he fear God, but he shuns evil. He is prosperous. Uh, later on in, in the Bible, it, it talks about how he was influential at this time. And uh, things seem to be going pretty good for him. But there is a turn in the story. And if you've ever heard of Job, this is really the highlight of Job. And many people, if they read Job or they hear about Job, this is where they go. And this is kind of where they stop just because there are so many questions regarding this part of the story. But here's where the turnaround happens in, in, in uh, verse 6 of, of, of chapter 1. Now there was a day when the sons of God, which is believed to be the angels of God, uh, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Basically, I picture the devil with his hand in his pocket saying, I'm just walking and minding my own business. That's basically what he's saying to God. Uh, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Verse 12, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. 
Very interesting uh, uh, situation here. In fact, you don't see something quite like this anywhere else in the Bible but in this portion. And uh, it can be kind of confusing because you're like, man, I thought God would have kicked the devil's butt right there. But on the contrary, he, he, he walks out. And he kind of gets permission to do what he really wants to do to, against Job. In the next several verses, we read that Job loses everything that he had. Everything that was described in the first couple of verses of this chapter. His, his children, his animals, his, 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 the, what made him prosperous, his household, his servants was all taken from him. They were all killed. And when, uh, in Job 1.20, to me, it's just fascinating what we read. After all of this happens, this is what it says. Then Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he what? He worshipped. To me, that's, that's amazing. I mean, it, it, you get a man that is at this level of life, this much influence, this much uh, of, a, of a blessing and blessed, and all of this happens. He just gets this attack, this huge thing from the devil. And yet, what he does in return is he worships God. This, by the way, is not what the devil expected, right? The devil expected that Job was going to start cursing God and the devil was going to win and, you know, we're good, this is over. But obviously, the contrary happened. Obviously, Job did indeed fear God, did indeed shun evil, and he still worshiped God. He recognized that he couldn't only just take what was good from God, and in his theology, this is what he had to do. And so, and if we continue reading in chapter 2, you're going to read chapter 2 like it sounds very familiar to chapter 1. Because again, there was a day when the sons of God met before God and the Satan came to present himself before God. And then uh, God asked him, you know, what are you doing? Where are you coming from? And the devil, again, you know, I'm just walking back and forth. I'm just minding my own business. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And this time the devil responds with, yeah, with that. By the way, the reason he didn't curse you to your face is because you took all that he had and you didn't touch who he was. You didn't touch his body. You didn't touch his life. He's still in good health. And so that's the only reason he's still worshiping you. That's the only reason he hasn't cursed you. And so Satan leaves again with more permission to not only have taken what was Job's because of God's blessing on his life, but now he strikes Job, the Bible says, with painful boils all over his body. And just picture that for a second. The Bible says, head to toe, he is covered with painful boils where he takes a stone and he feels like he has to scrape his flesh to maybe relieve some of that pain. It kind of brings a little bit of perspective to, to really the suffering of Job. You know, I'm reading this and I'm like, Man, there's problems, but then there's Job problems. And I don't know if any of us have experienced Job problems. I, I mean, I, I say that maybe ignorantly, but, but when I compare my life, you know, we've gone through some things. And, and I'm still young. You guys are looking at me like, man, you young, boy. You still, got, you still got a lot of things to go through, you know. But even in life, the Bible promise, it tells us that we will have trials, right? But when you read this, it, it kind of brings perspective. It's like, man, he... He really suffered. And not only did he really suffer, it's like it, it leaves us up to question. And, and, and tonight I really don't want to jump into the reasons why. And there's, there's, there's people who teach, you know, this is why that happened and this is why that happened. And honestly, I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I don't know exactly why all of this happened. 
But I will say this. I will share this uh, because I was studying this a few years ago, and uh, as as I was as I was reading this, you know, I'm reading the portion where uh, God is 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 with the angels, right? And the Bible says Satan comes by and he presents himself. So obviously they're in somewhere in the heavenlies. They're they're in the heavens somewhere, and God asks Satan, you know, where do you come from? And Satan says, I'm just walking around. And then God says, have you considered my servant Job? And I'm reading this and I'm studying this and I'm like, God, why did you bring Job up? You know, like my, my thought in this time is like, had you not even mentioned Job, maybe none of this would have happened. And this kind of bothered me and it really just like messed with me and I'm, I'm praying about it. I'm thinking about it. And I want to say this to you tonight. If you, if you were to study Job and only Job, then you're not going to understand the nature and the character of who God is. And nor will you understand the nature and the character of who Satan is. Because you cannot understand that. You cannot receive a full revelation of God, of who he is, of his love, if it's, if it's limited within the, the context of this story and only this story. And the Holy Spirit reminded me this very profound truth. And he said, you know what? The devil is a liar. He is a liar. You know, just because he responded to God with, I'm just walking around. You know, I'm just coming to and fro, just walking around the earth, doesn't mean that that necessarily was true. In 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible tells me, the Bible says that, uh, let's see, bring it up here. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, who? The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In other words, the devil's not just walking around and going about his own business. The devil's on a mission. He is on a mission. And his, his, his intention is to attack. His intention is to always oppose the truth of God, the word of God, the love of God. And so we have to understand that, that uh, God is good and the devil is bad. And I personally believe that within this context, God wasn't just bringing up Job to start a fight, but God was actually exposing what was in Satan's heart in the first place. I personally believe that. I think about the New Testament story of when Jesus uh, was in, a, in that small house and the, 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 the paralytic was raised down from the, from the roof, right, by his, 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 his friends and because there wasn't enough room to come in through the door. And, and Jesus... Is, is, is declaring that his sins are forgiven. And no one said anything. But the Bible says that Jesus perceiving their hearts, that they were condemning Jesus, they were judging Jesus because of what he said. He spoke something out of what was already in their hearts. And I personally believe that something very similar like that was, was happening here when, when God asked Satan this question. And so, again, if, if we read... And only Job, we're going to miss the true character and the goodness of God. Um, Job chapter 2, continuing with the story, verse, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all his adversity, they had come upon him. Each one came from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him. So obviously they heard about Job. They called each other up and said, let's go and let's, let's visit Job and to comfort him. So they want to mourn with him and comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, 
they lifted their voices and they wept. And each one tore his robe, sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his grief was very great. Something to note here, the first time Job is attacked, he worships. The second time, he stays quiet. I think this really hit him hard. By the way, I believe that one of the enemy's goals is to keep us quiet because there's power in our praise, there's power in our worship, and there's power when we speak life and speak words of faith. Amen? And in this, in this time, it, it really hit him to the point where he's quiet, his friends are quiet, and for seven days they're quiet. And the next time Job opens his mouth is in chapter 3. And what he says is not very much full of faith. He, he actually wishes that he was never born. And can you imagine the agony, the suffering that he's going through to where he doesn't even wish that he was back where he used to be. He wishes he was never born in the first place. Like that's pretty serious suffering in my opinion. Uh, so he speaks of that in, in, in chapter 3. But in chapters 4 all the way to chapter 31, there is this dialogue and there is this conversation between Job and his three friends uh, where his three friends are trying to figure out why Job is going through what he's going through. And they're saying, you must have done this. You must, you must have sinned uh, against God to receive this and to, to uh, earn this. And um, Job, on return, isn't saying, yeah, you guys are right. What he's, he's actually doing is he's defending himself. He's standing up for himself and he's saying, actually, uh, I didn't do anything wrong. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm in the right here and I don't understand what's going on. And there's just this amazing dialogue for 28 chapters. Um, but we learn that it's not actually edifying. It's not actually producing anything. It's not actually changing anything. In fact, it's it, instead of it bringing edification, instead of it bringing life, where these friends are attempting to help him, uh, it, there's actually frustration. And instead of going anywhere, it seems like they're going backwards because the Bible tells us that Job begins to justify himself. And he begins to be self-righteous. And there's a difference between self-righteousness and righteousness in God. And so... Uh, in chapter 32, we're introduced to who I believe is the hero of the story. You've got 28 chapters. Nothing's happening. It's just a lot of dialogue. It's just frustration. It's just self-justification. And in, verse, in chapter 32, uh, verse 1, the Bible says, These three men, talking over the friends, ceased answering jokes. They, they stopped trying to, they're saying, hey, man, we're not getting anywhere. Uh, by the way, uh, you know, we don't know exactly how long Job suffered for, but in verse 29, he, he mentions that he wishes that he was like in months past, like when he was in his prime. So it's very, um, it, it, could be, it could very well be that he suffered for many months. We don't know how long that is, but at least it was months. Um, so it, uh, it was months of this, and, and, and Elihu comes in, and he says, it says, these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Berachel, the Buzite, of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he testified of himself rather than God. And also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer, but yet they condemned Job. Now because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. 
So here we are. We have this situation where you have one side of the story and the other side of the story. And here comes Elihu. And, and, and he's kind of mysterious. He's kind of like this interesting character where he's not mentioned in chapter 2 with the other three friends. But apparently he was around long enough to hear what his friends had to say. He didn't like that. They were just accusing him. They were just speaking foolishness. And then he also had enough time to hear what Job had to say. And he didn't like that either because he was self-righteous and he was justifying himself. And so we don't know much about him other than he's a, than he's a young man. And other of the fact that he is from the family of Ram. And so uh, he, he comes into the story and, he, and he, to me he is the hero of the story because Elihu does something and he introduces, what he introduces is God's wisdom and God's understanding to where it turns this story around. By the way, spoiler, spoiler alert, the story of Job doesn't end with just Job suffering. In the, in, the end of the, in the end of the book of Job, in chapter 42, Job uh, repents, God speaks to Job, he repents, he humbles himself, and God restores Job double. How many of you guys know that God is a God of restoration? That God is a God of mercy? That even in the worst situation, you think about a terrible situation, you think of Job's story that God is still a good God and he still came in to the scene in his timing, in his way. And when Job repented, he restored Job. And the Bible says actually not only to where he was, but double. Think about double the, the, the blessing and double the influence that Job had. But because of what Elihu did, it sparked the turnaround in Job's story. He, it, it all takes place because of Elihu who has a small but significant platform. Uh, Job 32 verse 6 says, Elihu son of uh, Abarachel the Buzai answered and said, I am young in years and you are very old. Therefore I was afraid and dared not declare my opinion to you. I said age should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Age should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Listen to that. It doesn't mean that it always does, but he says it should. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Great men are not always wise. This word great means, uh, when, you, when you read the, the, the side note, the footnote, it says very old. And so next time someone calls you an old man, just remind them that you're great. So it says great men are not always wise. In other words, very old men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice. So he comes into the scene, and, and, and I, I love Elihu, and I believe we can learn a lot from Elihu. I believe we can learn a lot of how he addresses the situation, how he brings counsel. Uh, here's a couple things that I want us to remember and know about Elijah. Number one is that he waited before he spoke. He waited before he spoke. Wisdom and understanding doesn't come into the scene declaring their opinion, declaring your opinion and, think, and, and declaring what you have to say and what you know about the situation before you even hear and know about what the situation is. So wisdom waits before you speak. Understanding, wisdom, wisdom by the way, is, is the ability to know the outcome, but understanding is the ability to know what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And so wisdom listens before it speaks. And, and wisdom not only waits, but wisdom honors and respects the other people that are involved in the situation. Notice that he says, 
I am young, and you guys are older than me. I, I thought to myself, before I speak, maybe you guys have the answer. Maybe you guys know what to say, and so therefore, I'm going to listen. Therefore, I'm going to wait. But we don't know how long he waited, but he waited long enough to where he said, okay, what you're saying is not helping, and what you're saying, you're actually not helping yourself. You're going backwards. And so he has to say something. Number two is that he is young and that they are very old, according to what he says. He is young and they are very old. Here's what I want you to know, that understanding uh, that, that wisdom does not always come with age. Let me say it this way. Age does not promise you wisdom and understanding. Age does not promise you wisdom and understanding. Age guarantees you experience. That's what it does. For sure, as you gain experience through the years that you live and through the things that you go through, you gain experience. But just because you have experience doesn't mean that you have wisdom. Doesn't mean that you have understanding. Wisdom doesn't come from age. Wisdom comes from God. That's why you can have someone like David who was a teenager have the faith and the wisdom to do what he did at a young age. That's why you can have someone like Josiah who was eight years old who was reigning as a king in, in, in the kingdom of Israel. That's why you can, you can be young or you can be old and still be used by God mightily and still have words of life and words of wisdom because age doesn't guarantee wisdom. Age guarantees experience. And that experience could be good. Or that experience can be bad. And apparently with this situation, the experience of these friends didn't really help. The understanding or the lack of understanding that they had really didn't help. But Elihu comes in and he waits and he listens. And he understands that just because he's young doesn't mean that he can't say anything. That just because he's young that he can't be used by God. But he says that, there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Proverbs 2, verse 6 says, the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom. Not education, not age. These things bring you experience and knowledge, which are good. But wisdom comes from God, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Elihu continues by saying that he feels compelled to say something now. Uh, verse 18, for I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It is ready to burst like new wineskins. I will speak that I might find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man. Number three is that when wisdom speaks, it is from a place of fear of the Lord and not fear of man. Not fear of man. In fact, the Bible says in, in Proverbs 9.10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the beginning of wisdom. So as, as he speaks, he says, I, I, you know, I, I didn't want to just come and bring my opinion. I didn't want to do this so fast. I, I realized you guys were older, but at the same time, I'm not going to just stand here and do nothing. I'm going to say something because it compels me. It's like Jeremiah said, it's like fire shot up in my bones. I have to say something. God is in me. The spirit of God is in me. Wisdom and understanding is in me. And I have an opportunity with this amazing situation, this crazy kind of suffering to say something, to do something that might spark a turnaround in this situation. In Job 35, uh, he speaks to Elihu 
or I'm sorry, Elihu speaks to Job and he says, do you think this is right? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? It seems like to me that unlike the three friends, Elihu is not trying to figure out what Job did wrong. But Elihu rather is addressing the current condition of Job's heart. And we don't know at what point did this self-righteousness start. Uh, some people might say that that was in the very beginning. Um, I tend to believe that it was in the process of him trying to justify himself and trying to defend himself. And, and, and really in the whole book of Job, we don't, under, we don't know why all of this happened. But we do know that in the midst of the situation, that there is a man who rises up with the wisdom of God and the understanding of God that addresses the condition of the heart of the person that is suffering that changes the whole story around. I think we can learn wisdom is important from Elihu. Understanding is important. Respect the fear of God that he has, the courage, the boldness that he had, and the love that he had. He doesn't condemn Job, but he challenges Job, and he corrects Job when Job really needed to hear it. And he reminds Job, as you continue to read in the story, he reminds Job of God's goodness in the situation. I wonder that if any time God would use us to come along, alongside somebody who's going through some difficult times to remind them instead of accuse them or try to figure out why it happened, but to remind them that God is good. He continues to, to declare the majesty and the works of God. And, and really what Elihu is doing is he's reminding Job in the midst of suffering that God is good and he's actually worshiping God alongside and in front of uh, Job. In Job 36 he says, remember to magnify his work of which men have sung. Everyone has seen it. Man looks on it from afar. Behold, God is great. And so here he is. He doesn't have the answer to what's happening or what has happened, why it happened. But he has an answer to the current situation and he begins to worship and magnify God. He begins to remind Job of God's goodness. And he begins to remind Job not to forget to magnify his work. When Elihu is done talking... God talks. And in chapter 38 is one of my favorite portions of the Bible because like when I read it, I can hear thunder and I can see lightning and God speaks and he says, gird yourself like a man because I'm about to ask you some questions. Where were you when I said that the seas could only come up to this point? Where were you when I established the foundations? You know, and it's just like this amazing, I can imagine that Job is just shivering, you know. If you have time, I really encourage you to read that portion. Uh, because it is powerful, it is, it is amazing, and, you, and, and things are revealed at what God did at the beginning that you don't see anywhere else. And it's just, it's, just, it's just amazing. And after that, Job then talks, and he, and he, and he humbles himself, and he repents. In uh, verse, chapter 42, he says, he says, Then Job answered and said, I know that you can do everything and, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor you myself and repent in dust and ashes. When Elihu got done talking, God spoke. And I think that it's always a great thing that when you speak to somebody heart to heart, that the next 
thing that happens is God speaks through their heart. I think of John the Baptist who is considered to be the greatest man that walked on the earth. That, that's what Jesus said in the New Testament. And, 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 and he said that I must decrease so you may increase. And his whole thing was ushering God's presence. His whole thing was doing what he did so that Jesus can do what he can do. And you have this man, Elihu, coming in and speaking. And the reason what he said, what he said and he did, what he did was only to put Job in a situation to hear from God. And hearing from God and, and, and it made Job humble himself and repent. And we read the story and we, and we finish the story with knowing that, man, this, this story might sound confusing in the beginning, but in the end it's actually an amazing story. He's restored. He's, he's, he's in a, the Bible says that after all this happened, he lived 140 years. And he, was, he, he, he finally died after living a full life. He got to see his children. And he got to see his grandchildren and his, and his grandchildren's children. And he got to live this amazing life. This wasn't the end of Job's story. But the hero of the story of Job wasn't Job. The hero of the story of Job is Elihu. The man who, who, who stepped up when he needed to. The man who we don't know much about. And I believe there are heroes in this room tonight that you might be in the middle of a story. You are in the middle of a story. You might be alongside someone else's story. And you don't have to be note, noted. You don't have to have these amazing feats. You don't have to have all this knowledge. Or you don't have to have all these years of life. Or maybe you feel like you're too old. But you can still do mighty things. In this case, it was God's wisdom that did something amazing. But it could be the faith that you have. It can be the favor of God on your life. It can be the blessing. It can be the gifts of the Holy Spirit on your life. To be an unsung hero in someone's story and in someone's life. You know, this story uh, was, was in a time that was way before Jesus. In a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating the story of Easter, the, the story of the resurrected Jesus. And I want to tell you that that changed everything. Jesus coming and dying changed everything. And the Bible says that the relationship that Job had with God was that he feared God and he shunned evil. But today because of Jesus, not only do we fear God, but we love God. And not only do we shun evil, but we overcome evil. Because of what Jesus has done and because of the Holy Spirit that lives with us. Amen. Would you please stand to your feet as we pray. Well, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Jesus, for speaking to our hearts tonight. And I pray that we are stirred up. I pray that we are encouraged. I pray, Father God, that our hearts are closer to you tonight. I pray, Lord, for, for those who may be here who are walking through difficult times. And I ask, Jesus, that your wisdom would come into their situation. I pray, Father, that your voice would be louder than anything else around them. And I pray that your peace, Lord, would comfort them and lift them up. And, Father, I pray for who you call, as you call us, the saints, the saints in this place, that you call us to a ministry of reconciliation. You said, Lord, those who are spiritual to restore such a one who has stumbled. For those, Lord in this place who call you Lord and Savior who have the ministry 
to love you and to love others. I pray, God, that we would be like Elihu to friends around us and people around us, that we would step up and we would love even if it means correcting and that we would not just say our opinion and talk so fast and so quick and so soon, but we would have the wisdom and the understanding so that we can help turn around a story and a situation and so that you would be magnified. We thank you, Lord, for all of this. And if you're in this place tonight and you're not sure if you have peace with God, if you have a relationship with Jesus, as I said, when Jesus came, it changed everything. When Jesus came, he came to bridge the gap between man and God. And because of Jesus, we can know God. And we don't have to have a fear of a devil trying to do these kinds of things to us because Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. And he defeated the devil. If you're here tonight and you want to take that step, you haven't, or maybe it's been a very long time and you've been away from God, the step is to receive Jesus in your heart and to surrender your life to him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to extend that invitation to you. And I want to ask you right now, if you say, pray for me, I want to receive Jesus, would you raise your hand boldly, nice and high, so I can see it? If there's anybody here that says, pray for me, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender my life completely to him. Anybody in this place, raise your hand nice and high. God bless you. We're going to pray together, church. Those who raise their hands. And I want to encourage you to say this prayer aloud and to not only say it, but to believe it. As we confess with our mouths and as we believe that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says we'll be saved. And we're all going to join and say this with you. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you tonight just as I am. I realize that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I surrender my life to you. I accept Jesus, all that he is, and all that he has. And I give him all that I am. And from this day forward, I choose to live for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give it up for everybody who made that decision tonight? Thank you.